Before you're seated, I want you to, uh, let's give our moms a round of applause. Thank you to our mothers in the house. We don't celebrate perfect mothers today uh, because they're not perfect. But we, we celebrate their imperfections and the fact that they were kids likely when they had some of us and the fact that they stayed with us and didn't give up on us says a lot into the, into itself. And in that, their imperfections, they've raised imperfections perfect children. And there's a beauty of that committedness that we want to celebrate today. So again, thank you mothers uh, for who you are and what you've done in our lives. Y'all could be seated today. Imperfection. It's an okay thing to talk about. It's an okay thing to look at and maybe even celebrate a little bit. If you think about it, what we do most of the time when a bowl breaks or a teapot breaks or some precious vase falls, we get angry at ourselves, maybe for neglect. We want to throw it away and get rid of it and, and uh, almost hide the brokenness in the trash as soon as we can before someone else gets hurt. Or, or, but we just kind of do away with the broken. And I want to introduce you to a form of mosaic, if you will, as we've been talking about mosaic. It's an art form by the Japanese called Kintsuji. And it's an art form where you take broken pieces of pottery and you bring them back together again. And this was uh, introduced to me some months ago, and I have been reading and watching YouTube videos. You know, that's what you do to get your education today is YouTube. And uh, so learning about this form of art. To the point that some people will even take something that's precious and valuable and break it just so they can take it and bring it back together again. And they'll take it back in this, in this uh, again, form of art. It means golden repair. So instead of taking this piece of pottery that is broken and throwing it away, instead of just taking it and taking super glue, which we've all done that, then try to, again, get it as close to the lineup as you can and fill in the cracks as best you can so you can't see the cracks. And if you can see the cracks, then you just throw it away. They actually would intentionally put gold in between, a precious metal to bond and adhere the, 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 the broken pieces back together again. And we've said throughout this series a a statement that I said week one, I've said it week two, I've said it many, many, many weeks. It's the life principle of this series, and that is we have to embrace our brokenness before we can experience God's wholeness. We tend to like to mask over, facade over, again, get the super glue and kind of put it back together and pretend it didn't happen. And we want to, or throw it away, a relationship, a job, a, a integrity or whatever. And we don't, we don't seek that, that, that point of repair. And I want to say to you today that, friends, we need to embrace the brokenness. Because it's in embracing the brokenness that we get to see God's redemptive work. We get to see His beauty. We get to experience Him in a way that we wouldn't if we just throw it away, whatever it is. If we just hide it with some facade. We've been talking about the, through the book of Romans now for several months, four months now in. And if you want to look at Romans, you might look at it in this mosaic form that we start with our brokenness. And we work our way around as, as we embrace our brokenness. And again, that was a heavy, some heavy chapters as we were dealing with some, some pretty miry stuff. And then you go on into God's restoration. 
How does God bring us back together again? How does He take these broken pieces of our life, these broken promises, these broken dreams, how does He bring it back together again? Then we took this parenthetical break and we looked at the artist. And we looked at his plan and his desire and how he was going to restore us and bring us back together. His passions and uh, our passions and his plan and how all of that comes back together through the, through the lens of the artist. And then this week we turn the page and we kind of head to a section of, of Scripture that everyone likes to study in Romans. In fact, if you were to take Romans outside of Romans chapter 8 alone, you take the rest of Romans, everybody typically starts in Romans chapter 12. That's the preferred place. That's the place that we want to go to because the others was high theology and low application. Now we're going to turn it that we're going to start talking about the high application as a result of the work of God in us. But right smack dab in the middle, what joins this, this level of understanding of who God is and who we are and how we relate together and what he's asking of us and the beauty that he's forming in us and how he's going to bring that out of us. It rides smack in the middle. The glue that brings us together is this act of worship, is worship. Worship flows from the beauty and the fullness of God's work in me. You're going to hear me say that a lot. God's my worship flows from the beauty and, and, and the fullness of God's work in me. And how that, how that works, and we, we have this little phrase around here, why we exist. We exist to encourage authentic worship. It's where it starts. It's kind of the front door of the church where people come into Grace Point. They come in through our worship gatherings. We also realize that that's kind of where it all begins. If you don't have that relationship, if you don't understand the fullness of God, if you haven't experienced the fullness of God, then let's start there. But again, for quick review, you got to go back to brokenness. You got to experience his restoration. You got to know the artist. And then when you know that artist and all you, that, then the worship comes. Then the authentic worship begins. And we emphasize the word authentic. Authentic because we don't want fakes, because we're not about being fakes. The, the value and the power of everything that we've studied up until this point, this doctrine, this theology, is so that it will change our lives and affect our lives, for the beauty will come out of our lives. Doctrine is never given, F.F. Bruce said, never given, uh, is never taught in the Bible simply that it may be known. A lot of people study theology for the knowledge that it gives them. It's taught in order that it may be translated into practice. See, good theology, good doctrine doesn't just inform our minds. It transforms our lives. And what God did on the cross and what God, what Paul wrote about in all his letters and what Peter wrote about and he experienced all this great theology of who he is and what God did and all that kind of stuff, that's all to inform our life. And it's exactly why Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 17, if you know these things, it starts, you have to have a basis of knowledge, blessed are you who do them. So there is a response. Because I know these things, this is what comes out of my life. Because of everything that I've learned in in Romans chapter 1 through 11, now I'm going to see what comes out of my life because of that. And what should flow out of our lives is worship from the fullness and the beauty of what God has done in me and what God is doing through me. Really understanding and understanding the power of that authentic worship of God. My worship flows 
from the fullness and the beauty, the beauty and the fullness of God's work in me. I want to talk about that today in Romans chapter 11, where we're going to pick up in our study in Romans 11, towards the end of the chapter. It says that Paul turns his attention. He goes from all, again, all this deep theology that we've been studying, and he now turns it into this act of worship. He just breaks into a song. Many scholars believe that actually these first words that we're going to read today are actually a hymn or a chant or a song, some, some form, some fashion, that, that Paul himself wrote about, about who God was and what God did and how God works. And I want us to see today three manifestations of worship in your life. We talk about this being a worship center. This is a worship service. But is it more than this? And what does it mean to have worship, authentic worship with God? Does it mean I came in here and I, and, and, and I just was real in this room? No, no, no. Worship happens so much beyond this room. If this is the only place worship happens in your life, then you are missing it. There's three manifestations, though, of authentic biblical worship that happens and flows from our life. And again, worship's not one of those words that we use on a regular basis. It means to ascribe value to God. And that's what we are wanting to do in this. Three manifestations. Number one is that we have to right-size our God. We need a right-sizing of our God. We need to understand who He is. And that's exactly what Paul does in these, in these first words, or in these last words of chapter 11. Pick up reading with me in verse 33. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Now that alone right there, just, you could just hear it oozing out. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of our God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable are His ways. For, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has, who has been his counselor? And who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. He could literally have finished his message right there and walked away. He could have closed the chapter on the book right there and walked away from it all. I want us to talk about, when we look at this passage, the infinite wisdom of God. When you you look in this passage, you see this infinite wisdom of God. He is omniscient. He understands. He sees it all. He knows it all before that. Oh, the depth. I like that phrase. Oh, the depth. It's only used a couple of times in the New Testament. One of the times it's used way over in the Gospels, Matthew. When Jesus talks about the depth of a person's soil, of their soul, of their heart. When the seed is sown, many of y'all know the story, the seed is sown and it's so, some falls on thorny ground and it doesn't have, or excuse me, rocky ground and it doesn't have much depth. Now contrast that with that verse right there. Oh, the depth, oh, the depth of man. Oh, the depth of God, oh, the depth of man. See, here's the reality we're shallow people most of the time with a deep God. And when I say right-size our God, I'm saying we need to get an understanding that God is not us and we are not God and God is bigger than us and that we need to embrace the depth of our God. I can't put it into words. I can't put it into descriptions. I can't put it into adjectives. We have a deep God with shallow-hearted 
people. I'm not saying you're always shallow hearted. I'm not saying I'm always shallow hearted, but many of the times in our society, we come from a shallow hearted soul. We we have an infinite God that we need to understand and we need to embrace. Isaiah, back in that passage of scripture, it says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has seen? Who has, who has been his counselor? Has God listened in on somebody? Has God got a counselor? Does God seek out wisdom? No, he is the depth of wisdom. He is the unsearchable knowledge. He is the very depth of everything that we need to know. The question is, are we going to trust his wisdom? I want you to hear that. Are we going to be willing to trust his wisdom? In our life and our decisions and what we're going through. Because, listen, he may ask of you to do something that you've never done before. He may call you to stop something that you've never stopped before. He may ask you to go places you've never gone before. He may ask you to give like you've never given before. Are you going to trust his wisdom? Are you going to be willing to say yes and not even have all the answers to the questions of the test? And not even have all the questions, not even have all the answers. Are you willing to go with him and to trust him? Because in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I was reading Seth Godin, a business writer of our day, and he said this, The most scarce commodity... In the connection economy is trust. And I think about that when it comes to God, the connection economy. In your connection economy with your spouse, let's say that, you're only going to believe them as much as you can trust them. You're only going to go with them as far as you can trust them. And if you can't trust them, you will be skeptical of them. You will doubt them. You will wonder what's going on behind closed doors. Who will be going on with home behind the phone when they don't give you the passwords. You'll wonder all these things because there's a lack of trust. See, that, 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 that economy of connectedness comes back to the word trust. And I, I sometimes wonder if we have a hard time with God because we have a hard time trusting God. We have a hard time believing that he is trustworthy. Because again, we're shallow people in a deep, with a deep God. Oh, the depth of the knowledge and the wisdom of God. It is infinite and we are finite. And we have a hard time many times trusting. Are we willing to go with his plan when his plan is not our plan? Let me ask you a question again. Is your God trustworthy? Will you trust him into the unknown? There's the infinite wisdom of God, but there's also the infinite power of God. This is that omnipotent, omnipresent God that he is, where he is everywhere at once, and he's never, uh, never out of strength and never out of power to address whatever is going on. Somebody has pointed out to me one time when I was pretty high on myself. I said, Mike, go stick your hand in a bucket of water. And see what kind of impression you leave when you pull it out. Think about that. You think you're something in a bag of chips? You know, stick your hand in a bucket of water, pull it out, and see what kind of impression you leave. Really, we're not that much. But look at what God is. 
Look at what, what part of our life does God not touch? What part of our life is He not president? What part of our life can He not lord over and be master over? What part of our life? Verse 36, He said, For from Him, past, and through Him, present, and to Him, future. Everything from the past, everything in the present, everything into the future, everything, all things are to Him and to be for His glory. See, what we've got to do, if the fullness of God is going to transform us, if the beauty of God is going to saturate us, if we're going to have a heart overflowing with worship, we don't need to get more worship services, longer worship services, better sermons, or better bands. What we need is a deeper understanding of God. And it will flow. We won't be able to keep you from worshiping. It will simply come out. Because you will understand that God is is fully aware of everything that's going on. His counsel is way beyond anybody else's counsel. His wisdom is infinite and, 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 and infinite beyond any of our understanding. But He's also powerful. He is in our past when we can't go back. And He's in our future before we get there. And He is certainly carrying us through our present. But the problem is, is your God trustworthy is your god trustworthy is your god capable and if we have a small god i'll promise you this your small god will handle your small problems if we have a big god though he'll handle our big problems but if you have an infinite god he will handle your life infinitely how big How trustworthy, how capable is your God? We need to right-size our God. We need a bigger view of God, a bigger understanding of God if we're going to see the worship that needs to flow out of our life. So I put myself through a little exercise and I want to put you through this little exercise. I want you to think about the times, those times in your life, and I am old enough that I've got enough of them, okay? that I looked back over my life in the past 24 hours and I just began to put little pins on the map of my life. And I started back when I was eight. That's the first pin that I dropped down because maybe it's the first pin that I can really remember. And then I began to put down other little pins in my life where God literally would take me and nudge me maybe a few degrees this way or maybe it was a big degree this way, or maybe he would turn me all the way around to go back this way. All kinds of little paths of direction. I started adding them up. Some of them were pretty dark where I got off course. Some of them were pretty dark that happened to me. Sometimes life you create and sometimes life is created for you. How big is your God? How capable is your God? How trustworthy is your God? How much is your God a part of your past, your present, and your future? I just began to write them all out. This morning, I added two more. Right now, I'm at a list of 38 different times that God said this. I want you to move. Other times, He said, I want you to stay when I wanted to move. Another time, He said, I want you to do. Do this, Mike, and I'll walk with you through this. 
Other times, he told me to wait. And other times, he taught me to stop. Stop it, Mike. You're going to hurt yourself. Stop it, Mike. You're going to hurt others around you. And I started adding them all up. And I tell you, as I began to add up these 38 different pivot points in my life, I found that I had the hardest time, not with the going or the doing, because I'm a fixer. You ask Lori, if she comes to me with a problem, I can give her five ways to fix that problem. And she says, don't do it. Just listen to me. Any man can identify with that? All right. I'm a fixer. So bring me your problems and I will fix all your problems for you. But these are the ones. As I looked back through my 38 list, when God said, wait, just wait. I'm not going to tell you how. I'm not going to tell you when. I'm not going to tell you what. Just wait. And I'm talking about waiting some of those times for months, for years. Years. Just wait. Stop. But I like doing stop. And this one, just stay. Persevere. I know it would be easier if you think it would be greener pastures over here. Who was Irma Bombeck said? Grass is always greener on the other side, but you realize it's built on a septic tank? You know, think about that. Um, is your God trustworthy? Is your God capable? What are the pivot points of your life? When you start mapping those out and you start seeing God's hand on your life, that should fill your heart with worship as you see the beauty of God. And from that, worship will flow. My worship flows from the beauty and the fullness of God's work in me. I need to right-size my God. When I right-size my God, worship will come. Number two, I need to rightly prioritize our lives. Rightly prioritize our lives. A part of getting the right-sized God, I'm not saying we have to make God right. We have to embrace His size, okay? But a part of me getting the right-sized God is downsizing me. Can I say that to you again? A part of me getting the right size of God is downsizing me. Colossians says it like this, that God and Christ is to be preeminent above all, first place above all. When you come to Romans chapter 12, and really it's a continuation because what he does in Romans 11 is he does this act of worship, this song of worship. But then he comes to verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, brethren. I just got through worshiping, okay? Because I got a big God. Now he's going to turn. He's going to talk to the crowd. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Appeals, this, this calling, this yearning, this turning point in, in Paul's writing where he goes, goes from talking about God up here to talking about you right here and how the two come together is that when we come to God in worship, notice the last phrase, spiritual service of worship. You know, the fact that we're bringing our worship, that's where we come together. That's where we link up. 
When we have experienced the fullness, when we have experienced the beauty of God, when it has overwhelmed us, then we go into worshiping Him. Then we go into presenting ourselves. And that word, to present yourselves. I don't present you, your children, my parents, you don't present your children. I present me. Berkeley put it in his translations, make a decisive dedication. Put a stake in the ground. We invite you every day, every week of the day to whether you're listening to the Spotify list or you're, you're in the word regularly or you're, we try to give social media stories of what God's doing throughout our, our, our body, uh, our, our family to just continually keep us all week long in a state of worship. We talk about when we're talking about trying to equip our families. And listen, I know no other church, no other denomination that does it. I'm patting ourselves on the back when I say this, that does what we're trying to do when we're talking about equipping our families. We talk about drive time. We talk about meal time. We talk about bedtime and having that family worship because worship is something that doesn't just happen in this room. It happens always. And strategy meetings coming up, and I just tell you, save the date. That's going to be a day where we're going to look back and see what God has done in our church in the past year. We're going to look ahead and see where, where, where God is le- leading us. When we talk about prioritizing God in our life, giving ourselves to God, it is not giving God the leftovers. It is giving God the first and the best, not the dead and the last. It is giving God our very, very, very best on the forefront of our minds and the forefront of our hearts. Is Am I going to give God my dead last? Augustine said it like this, Late have I loved you all the time you were with me, but I was not with you. How many times does that describe our love life with God? He loves us. He's embracing us. He's pursuing us. But we're not pursuing Him. When we give God our dead last, He gets our leftovers. He gets what's left in the bucket. He gets what's left in the wallet. He gets what's left in our calendar. He gets what's left in our life. He gets what's left in our energy. But when we present ourselves to God... Whenever he becomes the, the first, the priority of our life, he becomes the, the, the number one worship of our, our, our life. When I give God my first and my best, everything is pushed to the front of the table. It's not held back. It's not held under the table. It's not held in, in, in a secret room of my life. It is pushed to the front of the table. And I give God the first moment of every day. I give him the first day out of every week. I give God the first dime out of every dollar. I give God the first consideration in every one of my decisions. And I give it my very best. Anything less than that is is a sad testimony. Because if you look at this verse, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, as the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And here's the key qualifier. Holy and acceptable to God. A God who's worthy of not our last who's worthy of our best. The very best that we have to give Him. And you have differently than I have differently. 
It's kind of like, I look at it like this. When we deal with kids, we raised, we raised three kids, all gifted in their own rights. And um, all, all, you, you, you take Caleb over here, who was, uh, went to West Point, an engineering kind of school, and, and has this incredible math brain. In fact, they told him, don't even apply for West Point if you don't have a certain grade on your, in your math score and your ACT. And, and, um, and you, you, you've, got, you've got Caleb over here in the math camp. And then you've got artist Jordan over here. And uh, who celebrated her last day of college math? And I think I heard it from college. Sixteen hours here, her celebrating her last math class. But she she's a graphic designer, going to be a nurse, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, she's got her giftings. Caleb's got his giftings. And all of our kids have their different giftings. But I'll tell you this: I'm not going to have Jordan mathematically engineer a bridge for me. I'm going to have her draw one, but neither am I going to have Caleb, whose penmanship you need a decoder ring to be able to make out. Am I going to ask him to draw me anything? Well, what am I doing? I'm saying Caleb's gifted and Jordan's gifted and Josh is gifted and Lori's gifted and I'm, our whole family's gifted. We bring our gifts to the table and we want to bring our best to him. How has God gifted you? How are you bringing your best? Because my worship doesn't flow from you. My worship flows from the fullness and the beauty of God at work in me. Number three. One. Let's review. One. I need to right-size our God. I need to understand who He is. And that becomes the basis of my worship. Two is I rightly prioritize my life. Once I understand who he is, then it makes sense why he should be number one. If, he's, if I don't understand who he is, then it doesn't make sense why he should be number one. I should have no problem with making him number one. So I reprioritize or I rightly prioritize my life. But then I rightly shape future. There's a rightly shaped future that comes from my life. How is God going to work in my life? He is going to work in my life in the fullness and the beauty. And I'm going to worship Him in the fullness and the beauty of what He does in my life. And I'm going to see and experience Him in ways. And what I'll be going through everyday normal life. But when I experience God in His fullness and in His beauty, He's going to transform my future. He's going to shape my future. I think about Isaiah and Isaiah the prophet whenever he was standing before King Uzziah. And King Uzziah came and and, uh, or excuse me, died, uh, King, uh, um, excuse me, yeah, King Uzziah died, and Isaiah was in the temple mourning him, and he was focusing on the king, and God shows up in his life and shows him that his mouth is dirty. Now, I don't know why his mouth was dirty. Was he a gossiper? Was he a critic? I mean, he becomes a prophet later on, so he could have been one of those with a real sharp tongue. I don't know what it was, but here, notice the beauty of this. If you go back and read the, uh, the story in Isaiah 8, is he calls out his, his lips being unclean. And what does God end up using? Uses Isaiah's lips as a great prophet. But first of all, God had to touch his lips, had to transform his lips. And there was this beautiful worship experience that happens in Isaiah. And in this worship experience, when I experience the fullness of God, God begins to transform my life. He does these incredible things. And I don't think anybody in this room has think that they have arrived. Does anybody in this room think that they've loved enough? 
that they have a deep enough joy, that they have patience enough, that they're kind enough, that they're gentle enough, that I have enough self-control. All these are the fruits of the Spirit. No, we've all a work in progress. But here's what happens. This world is going to seek to conform you. It's going to seek to make you like them. Soccer moms, you will look like a soccer mom. Corporate climbers, you will look like a corporate climber. Subdivisions will have their cast. Well, you got to look like this. Your yard has to look like this. We got to spend this much money because they got a car like that. We got the anti-cultural hipsters that look like a cultural to themselves. Culture is constantly conforming us from the outside. God is wanting to transform us from the inside. Verse 2. Look at Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed. And literally, the idea here is an external molding shaping like Play-Doh when you used to play with Play-Doh. And you squeeze it into a mold and then you take the mold off and what do you have? You have whatever shape was around it. The world is shaping us, conforming us. But what is God doing? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God is transforming us from the inside out. This metamorphosis word here is where is, is the word that we get from this one, transform. It's only used two times by Paul. Here and then in the book of Corinthians, uh, first, or second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, or verse 18. It says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from the one degree of glory to another. For this comes through the Lord who is the Spirit. God is transforming us, but He's not doing it from the outside. He is doing it from the inside. He is wanting to change you and make you and shape you. Look at verse 12 all the way. The renewing of your mind, the testing of your faith, discern what is that good, what what is the will of God, that good and acceptable and perfect. That's the life we all want. The good, the acceptable, the transformed life that God wants to do. Worship happens when we experience the fullness of and the beauty of God in our life. When we have a right-sized God, when we've right-sized our priorities, and whenever we are rightly moving in the direction that God is transforming us, and we're allowing Him to shape us, I have some good friends with us today. Wes and Lori Wilcox, right down here. Raise your hand, Wes and Lori. I've known them for 20 years. Lori and I have known them for 20 years. We were missionaries in Zambia with them. And they're the new directors, I'm assuming that's your title, I'm giving it to you today, uh, of, uh, of New Day Orphanage. And we have been with New Day Orphanage for the past, we've sent, uh, listen to this, 120 of our members have gone to New Day Orphanage to serve with the orphanage there in the past eight years. Eight teams in eight years, 120 people. High five the person next to you, say this is a cool church. Do it. High five them. You're gonna, if you come on, on Tuesday night to our Mission 360, you'll get a chance to hear from them directly uh, about the orphanage. We have invested time, money, energy, and we love, 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 love them, and we love the, the children that are there. But let me tell you this. They're not conforming children. They're taking Zambian-born orphans. They don't have a mother or a father. 
And they're inviting them into a safe place, not to conform them, but to see transformation. Because they could conform them very easy. Okay, let's put them in Western clothes. Let's put them in a let's put them in a Western house, and let's let's put them in a in a Western three meals a day, and let's put them in a Western education. And they give them a quality education. They give them a quality home. They give them quality clothes. All of that, yes. But I love about New Day is that they're also about seeing transformation in every single heart of every single child, and. To see churches planted around New Day. When we were there last time, Sully, I think uh, you all were with me when we went out and uh, walked through a village and we went to a village where there was a lady and she was demon-possessed. I still remember that encounter. And I'm thinking the gospel still needs to go here. Well, what, there's a place, there's a people that are there. And I say all that just to say this. Just like God is using the Wilcox's New Day Orphanage to raise up another generation, but a generation this time that loves God, knows God, walks with God. A life transformed, not conformed. So He is wanting to do the same in you. So He is wanting to do the same in me. And there's a vast difference between conforming and being transformed. Whenever you are transformed, what happens is worship flows from the beauty of of the fullness of God's work in you because it's coming from the inside out. And that's where God wants to work. I want you to take your hands. I want you to just hold them, okay? Hold them like this. You can hold them in your lap. This is your life, okay? Put them all your fingers together. Now, as you think about your life, I want you to think about the cracks of your life. And I want you to think about Kintsuji Mosaic. You think about maybe it's the broken promise crack. Maybe it's the all-consuming anger crack. That Maybe it's that big or maybe it's that big. But it's all-consuming. Maybe, it, maybe it's not all-consuming, but maybe it's never-ending. Never ending? Where you constantly feel like a low grade fever, an anger and a resentment for someone. It's a crack in your life. Maybe it's a passion that you have. Maybe it's a, a lust that you can't seem to control. These are all the cracks of our life. You got one or two options. You can hide them. You can throw your life away. Or you can say, God, in your grace, in your love, in your mercy, would you fill in the cracks of my life? And so that whenever I am on display in this world, people will not focus on me, but just like they do in this mosaic art, they focus on the cracks. And you know what about these cracks? They become the focal point. They become the gold that you look at. Every crack points to a story, a pivot point in your life. God is wanting to be the God of that point. And He's wanting to fill it in with the gold of His grace and love and mercy. So today, we're going to continue in worship. But your hands speak of the story of your life.
what do they say? And maybe you say, Mike, I've got a crack so wide, I don't even know how I could possibly fill it. You can't. The grace of God can. My prayer to you today, for you today, is that you would understand the vastness of our God, that He is capable and He is trustworthy and He can fill that in. And you're invited in this time of worship to just sit where you're at and just lift your hands up to God, your cracks up to God, and say, God, I don't know what to do with these cracks. I want to give them to you. And you may ask God to fill them in and then raise your hands and stand in worship. Father God, you know our cracks and you love us anyway. The vastness of who you are, the trustworthiness of your wisdom, the capabilities of your strength, the fact that you're present in my past, in my present, and my future, before I even get to my future, you're there already. And God, I can hide from these cracks and I can run from them and I can throw my life away and I can shame myself into oblivion. But God, we can be transformed as we present ourselves to you. We can be transformed. Lord, may we worship you today not from the words on the screen, not from a melody in our head, but from the fullness and the beauty of your work in 